Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. This sermon was preached in 1998 at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio by Marshall Smart. It's titled, In the Beginning, God. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. Keep passing it on and on. Keep passing it on. Keep passing it on. Keep passing it on and on. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful presence that we feel in this service. I pray that you'll brush aside everything that the enemy may use to try to hinder in this service. Put a holy hush upon us. Amen. And bring us face to face with eternal realities. We thank you for help in other days. But this is a new service tonight. New battles are to be fought. New victories are to be won. We pray that you'll help us. Anoint us. Think through our minds. Speak through our lips. You didn't say you would bless my word, but you did say you would bless yours. So bless your word to our hearts tonight. For we ask these favors in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now I have one verse of scripture that I'm going to use tonight as my text. You don't have to look it up. I'll just quote it for you. It's found in the first book of the Bible and the first chapter and the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I would like to hold in that passage of Scripture with these words, in the beginning, God. Not 6,000 years ago. Not 7,000 years ago. Not even 70,000 years ago. But in the beginning, as far back as your mind can travel tonight, in the beginning, God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we all must begin. If we fail to begin with God, then our days, our years, yea, even our lives will be spent with a guess, or I reckon, or perhaps, or I think so, or I hope so. And we will become creatures most miserable if we fail to begin with God. Now, no place in this Bible does it try to prove that there is a God. There's only two places in the Bible where an atheist is mentioned, and that's Psalm 53.1 and Psalm 14.1. And in both places, he's called a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, but only a fool would say that. But the Bible does not try to prove that there is a God. It just merely opens up within the beginning God, and all the rest of the Bible goes on the assumption that there is a God. Now, would you like to understand the full nature of God tonight? Would you like to see the kind of a God that we worship, the kind of a God that we serve? Then we're going to have to turn to the Bible. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is the Word of God. 
And as I open up the Bible, I notice this about God, and that is he is a God of love. Now, I never want you to forget that. I want you to remember that the longest day that you live. I want you to write that upon your heart. I want you to stamp that upon your mind. I never want you to let go of that wonderful truth, and that is God is a God of love. Now, it doesn't matter to me tonight who you are. It doesn't matter to me how deep in sin that you've gone. You may be a big hypocrite tonight. Your sin may be adultery. It may be filthiness. It may be pride. It may be drink. It may be murder. It may be dope. It may be every sin that I can mention tonight. But according to the Bible, God loves you, and he loves you with an everlasting love. I suppose one of the greatest books in the New Testament is the Gospel of St. John. I suppose one of the greatest chapters in that book is chapter 3. Probably one of the greatest verses in that chapter is verse 16. It's a golden text of the Bible. It said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that little word, whosoever, is universal in its scope. It takes in anybody. It takes in everybody. It even takes in you. Regardless of who you are, regardless of how deep down in sin that you've gone, regardless of how dirty and how black and how ugly your past record may be, the Bible indicates that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, the Bible says, Under him that loved us and washed us from our sins and his own blood, according to Revelation 1.5. Now, according to that verse of Scripture, uh, the Lord loved us uh, before he washed us uh, from our sins. Again, the Bible said, God commendeth uh, his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for us, according to Romans 5, 8. Now, according to that Scripture, uh, he loved us uh, before he died on the cross for us. You know, it was a long time after I'd become a Christian before I fully realized my relationship with God and God's relationship to me. But as I open up the Bible and begin to read about the love of God and the love of a Heavenly Father, my faith took hold and I found more satisfaction in the service of the Lord than ever before in my Christian life. Now, the Lord describes himself to us in the Bible in many ways. He describes himself to us as the light. He said, I am the light of the world. He describes himself to us as a door. He said, I am the door. By me, a penny man shall enter in. He can be saved and go in and out and find pasture. He describes himself to us as a shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He describes himself to us as a vine. He said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. But to my greatest joy was to find the Lord describing himself to me as a mother. Isaiah 66, 13 said, As one whom his mother comforted, so will I comfort you. Again, the Bible says, Can a mother forget her sucking child? Yea, she may forget. Yet, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord puts himself to the place where he will never forget us. God's love is the greatest love that the world has ever known. God's love is greater than a mother's love. God's love is greater than a father's love. God's love is greater than a companion's love. God's love is the greatest love that the world has ever known. Did you hear what Jesus said there in John chapter 15, verse 13? Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, wait a minute. 
God hates sin with a holy hatred, but he loves a sinner. God hates alcoholism, but he loves the alcoholic. God hates prostitution, but he loves a prostitute. God hates homosexuality, but he loves a homosexual. God hates lying, but he loves a liar. God hates stealing, but he loves a thief. God hates sin with a holy hatred. But ladies and gentlemen, God loves a sinner. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus into this world. And Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible said God is a God of love. He loves you tonight, and he loves you with an everlasting love. I opened up the Bible, and I found something else about God. He's not only a God of love, but the Bible indicates that God is a God of faithfulness. I found this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. There you are. God is not only a God of love, but he's a God of faithfulness. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this Bible plainly teaches us uh, that we have a God that is faithful. And every promise that he's given to mankind, uh, he is faithful to perform. And we as Christians tonight uh, can claim uh, the glorious promises of God. And according to the scripture, God is going to be faithful uh, to the saints. He's going to be faithful to the Christians. He said, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will never put too much on a Christian about what he's able to bear it then God is going to be faithful to us, not only in temptation, but he's going to be faithful to us all through this Christian life. Did you hear what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9? He said, my grace will be sufficient for you, and my strength will be made perfect in weakness. God is going to be faithful to us even when we come down to the river's edge. When we come down to the chilly waters of death, the Lord is going to be with us. Did you hear what David said in Psalm 23, 4? He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God is going to be faithful to us in that. He's going to come after us someday. Did you hear what it said in John 14, chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And my father's house, for many mentioned, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And then where I am, there you may be also. Ladies and gentlemen, God is going to be faithful to the saints. Put that down in a little notebook. Write that down upon your heart and your mind that God will be faithful to his children. He's going to be faithful to the saints. Now, wait a minute. Let's flip that coin. I noticed something else about the faithfulness of God. He's not only going to be faithful to the Christians, but get this carefully now. He's going to be faithful to the sinner as well. He's going to be faithful to the unsaved. Did you hear what it said in Numbers 30, number 32, 23? Uh, he said, be sure your sin, uh, I will find you out. 
Now, if you're going to fuss with anybody, don't fuss with this preacher. You're going to have to fuss with the Bible. You're going to have to fuss with what God says. He said, be sure your sin. I will find you out. Numbers 32, verse 23. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 20, 18. He said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man saw, that shall he also reap. If his soul's to the flesh, hell of the flesh reap corruption. But if his soul's of the spirit, hell of the spirit, I'll reap everlasting life. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. He said, your sin, I will find you out someday. He said, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. Did you hear what David said? He lifted up his voice. In Psalm, in Psalm 69, verse 5, he lifted up his voice and said, Dear Lord, you know all about my foolishness and my sin is ever present in your sight. You know about my foolishness and my sins are ever in your sight. You know all about these sins. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul, I mean, David said, uh, you know all about my foolishness. And by the way, God knows all about our foolishness. God knows all about our sins. If you're here tonight uh, and you think you can cover up, the Bible said that sin someday, uh, I will find you out. We could have a few people here in this congregation have to think that you're pretty smart. You think you can do wrong and get away with it. But ladies and gentlemen, if I know anything about this Bible, and I've been studying it now for 50 years, if I know anything about this Bible, I just do not believe that anybody can do wrong and get away with it. He said, your sin, someday I will find you out. Did you know the Lord has fixed your body up in such a way uh, that you can't sin and get away with it? The Lord has given you a special kind of a body. Your body is affected by what you eat. And your body is affected uh, by the sins that you commit. You can't hate somebody uh, and have a good digestion. You can't think in pure thoughts and think in pure thoughts and think in pure so thoughts uh, without poisoning your bloodstream. Your body uh, is affected uh, by this thing that's called sin. God has fixed your body up in such a way that you can't do wrong and get away with it. Your sin will find you out. The Bible said, he that covered this sin uh, should not prosper. But blessed is he whose transgression uh, is forgiven, uh, whose sins are covered. The best thing to do uh, is to get your sins covered uh, by the precious blood of Christ. Don't try to cover up. Don't try to hide. Confess them and forsake them and renounce them and say yes to Jesus Christ. He'll forgive you of all of your sins. You can't sin and get away with it. God knows all about everybody in this congregation. He knows everyone that's sitting over here in this section and on the floor section, over here in this section, here in the middle section. God knows all about us tonight. He sees every thought that walks across your mind. He saw you when you did that. He heard you when you said that. He saw you when you acted that way. The pastor didn't see it. The evangelist didn't see it. Your companion didn't see it, but God saw it. And the Bible said that someday uh, that sin, uh, I will find you out. The best thing to do uh, is to confess it. Don't try to cover up. Just confess it and say, oh, my God, it's true. 
I've been sinning and trying to cover up. You can't do it. Oh, you may hit the jackpot of pleasure every once in a while, but sooner or later you're going to be found cashing in the last chance. And the wheels will roll up with three lemons and you're out. The wages of sin is death. There's a payday coming. You can't say to get away with it. God knows all about us tonight. He knows your license number on your automobile. He knows your social security number. He knows your house number. He knows your phone number. He knows how tall you are. He knows the color of your eyes. He knows what you did today. He knows what you plan to do tomorrow. He even knows what you would do if you had a chance to do it and get away with it. David said, you know all about my sins. You know all about my foolishness. And my sins are not hid from thee. Your eyes go to and fro in the earth. There's all seeing eye watching you. You can't sit and get away with it. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. Cain couldn't do it. Samson couldn't do it. Balaam couldn't do it. Achan couldn't do it. Gehazi couldn't do it. Peter couldn't do it. Judas couldn't do it. Ananias and Sapphira couldn't do it. Hitler couldn't do it. Mussolini couldn't do it. Peter the Great couldn't do it. And Napoleon the Bonaparte couldn't do it. And you can't do it. There's another person in this room or out of this room that can do wrong and get away with it. The Bible says someday your sin will find you out. It doesn't find you out in this life. It'll find you out when you stand at the blazing judgment bar of God. Sometimes your sin will find you out in your body. I've got scars on my body tonight. And I'll take to the grave with me because of living in the fast lane. I know a fella, he was an alcoholic, but the man got saved, got wonderfully sanctified. The doctor said, yes, he's a Christian, but he still has a bad liver because of drinking so much whiskey. I have scars on my body. My body has been affected because of my past life, because living in the fast lane. And I'm speaking to people right here in this congregation. You're suffering in your body tonight because of sin. S-I-N, sin. It'll find you out in your body. Sometimes it finds you out in your countenance. When I was pastoring in Indianapolis, I could always tell when some of my young people were slipping around doing things they ought not to do. I could see it on their countenance. I can tell an alcoholic when I see one. They don't have to walk around with a placard up in the air saying, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. They don't have to tell me that. I know an alcoholic when I see one. The bloated face and the bloodshot eyes and the way that he staggers down the street. I can tell a homosexual when I see one. I don't miss it very often. They don't have to walk around with a placard up in the air saying, I'm homosexual. You can see it on their countenance. Sometimes sin will find you out in your countenance. If it doesn't find you out in your body, if it doesn't find you out in your countenance, many times it finds you out in your offspring, your children. 
the iniquities of our fathers uh, has been visited uh, on the children uh, of the third uh, and the fourth generation according to Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 ladies and gentlemen write it down on your little mind write it down on your heart put it in the notebook your sin will find you out if not in this life, it'll find you out at the judgment. The mask will be jerked off and the real you will be seen. My God, there's not enough of me in this room or out of it. I could scare me a shiver of coming to this mourner's bench. If I had a spiritual need, I'd be the first one at this altar. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go out to meet God unprepared. I want to know before I leave this convention center uh, that ever sins under the blood, uh, that I'm sanctified, holy, and that I got my little hand in God's big hand, uh, and I'm walking in every ray of life uh, that the Lord uh, has given to me. I wouldn't want to leave uh, without knowing uh, that it's well with my soul. You can do as you please. I'm just saying this, God is a God of faithfulness. He's going to be faithful to the saints, but he's going to be faithful to the unsaved people as well. I hate to say this, but it just came to me. I was in a revival meeting a few years ago at a certain church. Saints of God were praying around the clock. We were having numbers of people around the altar praying. One night while I was in the middle of this message, not the one that I'm preaching tonight, but I was in the middle of another message, and all of a sudden a woman stood up in the congregation, and she screamed and slipped out of her seat and ran down the aisle and fell on her knees at the altar. She was praying like she was ready to drop into hell. I stopped preaching. I said, come on, saints, let's gather up around this woman and pray with her. She's desperate. And while we were praying for her, she looked up, and I shall never forget that stare that she had in her eyes. She stopped me from praying. She said, Preacher, I look like a Christian, don't I? And she said, I'm a hypocrite. My heart is black as hell itself. I'm a hypocrite. I profess to be right with God, but I don't really possess it in my heart. I look like a Christian. I dress like a Christian, but my God, my heart is deformed. I'm lost without Jesus. I'm a member of this church. In fact, I'm a charter member of this church. I said, my God, lady, what's wrong? She said, Brother Smart, for years, I've been stealing money out of the offering plates. Whenever the pastor had the people to get on their knees to pray, I'd slip out of my seat while the people were praying, and I'd slip up to the platform, look at the pulpit stand as if I were trying to find a fan or maybe a Sunday school quarterly. But she said, I wasn't looking for a fan or a Sunday school quarterly. She said, I was stealing money out of the offering plates. She said, do you believe the Lord can forgive me? I said, oh, yes. Isaiah 1.18 said, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. She said, do you believe the church will forgive me? I said, oh, yes. That woman prayed through and got saved. The Lord restored the joy back to her heart. Placed the kiss of reconciliation on her brow. Rewrote her name down in the Lamb's book of life. And she'd been trying to pay that money back to the church ever since. And maybe some of you folk in this congregation, uh, you haven't been stealing money out of the offering plates. 
but probably you've been sneaking around like a little hypocrite and doing things that you know down deep in your heart is not right in the sight of God. Maybe you've been stealing God's money. Instead of paying your tithe, you've been keeping it for yourself. Slipping around doing things that you know down deep in your heart is not right in the sight of God. God knows all about that. God knows all about that. He said, be sure your sin will find you out. I opened up the Bible and I found something else. God has the only God of love. He's the only God of faithfulness. But I found in the Bible that God is a God of long-suffering. I found that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us word. Not when it any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You'll say, what does that mean? That means it's not God's will for anybody in this room uh, to go to hell. But it's God's will for everybody in this auditorium uh, to go to heaven after this life is over. It's not God's will for anybody to be lost. It's God's will for everybody to be saved. It's not God's will for anybody to leave uh, this auditorium with condemnation on your heart. But it's God's will for every one of us to leave uh, with the joy bells ringing in our hearts. God is a God of long suffering. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. If you go to hell, you'll go there as a dirty intruder. Because God Almighty doesn't want anybody to go to hell. If you go to hell, you'll go there as an intruder. God has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, really, to be honest with you, everybody in this congregation, including Brother Sankey, Everybody in this congregation, uh, including this preacher right here, everybody in this congregation uh, deserve to go to hell. Every last one of us uh, deserve to drop into hell where we'll burn and burn and burn as long as God lives. Why? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible said in Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the reason that we need a Savior. We were born in sin. David said in Psalm 51, 5, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul said in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sinned, entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Everybody in this congregation deserves to go to hell because we had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But thank God for 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people which I call by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways. Then when I hear from heaven, I'll forgive them of their sins. I will heal their land. Thank God for First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, for the amazing grace how sweet the sound of the saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind uh, but now I see I confess I forsook I renounce and Jesus forgave me <laughs> what 
You say, why do you do that? Because you don't do it. We have a lot to praise the Lord for. God is a God of long suffering. But ladies and gentlemen, let me say this. I believe with all of my soul that God's wrath is just about ready to fall upon this old world. I don't profess to be a smart preacher, but I've got sense enough to know that something is just about ready to take place. That brings me to this thought. God is not only a God of love, not only a God of faithfulness, not only a God of long-suffering, but the same Bible tells me uh, that he's a God of wrath. I found this in Revelation 6, 17. The great day of his wrath is come. And who's going to be able to stand? Will it be the Nazarenes? No. Will it be the Methodists? No. Will it be the Presbyterians? No. Will it be the Western Holiness? No. Will it be the Bible Methodists? No. Will it be the Holiness Group? No. It's going to be the Holy Group, not the Holiness Crowd. We've got a lot of people belongs to the holiness crowd that don't know anything about holiness. It's not going to be the holiness crowd. It's going to be the holy crowd. The great day of his wrath has come, and who's going to be able to stand? I found the answer in Psalm 24, 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart hath lifted up the soul of vanity and no sworn deceitfully. That's the crowd that's going to be able to stand at that day going to be the holy crowd. I want to be in that number. God is a God of wrath. I know hellfire and damnation preaching is old-fashioned today. But God's word does not change every time we have a national election or a few graduates receive their diplomas. God's word stands regardless of what you think about it and regardless of what I think about it. God is a God of wrath. Somebody said, I don't believe in hell. Honey, that doesn't put the fire out because you don't believe in hell. The fire still burns whether you believe in hell or not. The Bible said the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalms 9, 17. Upon the wicked he shall rain snare, fire, and brimstone and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of the cup. Psalms eleven six. Hell from beneath has moved to meet thee at thy coming. Isaiah 14, 9. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 15. And that word cast... <coughs> It's a strong word. It means hurled. Your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'll be hurled out into the lake of fire where you pitch forward and fall backwards, where you weep and wail and gnash at your teeth, where hope never comes and where mercy is a stranger. And look back and see this service tonight. Look back and see yourself sitting where you're sitting. And then wake up to realize God's gone. Mercy's gone. The love of God is gone. And the door is shut. Thank God 
I wouldn't want to leave this room knowing that every sin is under the blood. <clears throat> He's a God of wrath. By the way, did you read in the Reader's Digest a few years ago about the terrible earthquake they had in San Francisco? 63 people died immediately. 3,700 individuals were maimed. I mean, they were, their bodies broken all to pieces. Thousands of people were made homeless. According to Reader's Digest, it was the worst disaster in American history. That wicked city of San Francisco, the earthquake hit it. 63 people died now. 3,700 people were injured. Thousands of people were made homeless. But wait a minute. There's a little bit of mercy mixed in that wrath. I said there was a little mercy mixed in that wrath. Not everybody was killed. Not everybody was injured. Not everybody was made homeless. There was some mercy mixed in that wrath. But ladies and gentlemen, you remember reading there in Revelation 14, 10, where it said someday uh, the wrath of God will be poured out on this whole universe without mixture. There won't be any mercy. There'll be judgment. Mercy door will be shut. My God. I'll tell you, uh, when the wrath of God is poured out on this universe, there'll be no mixture, no mercy at all mixed in that wrath. This world will reel and rock like a drunken man. The stars will fall from the silver sockets. The moon will turn to dripping blood. The sun will be blown out and will refuse to shine. And people will run to the rocks and the mountains and beg the rocks and mountains and to fall upon them and to crack their skulls and to dash their brains out, to hide their face from him that sits on the throne. My God, what a day. Ladies and gentlemen, the storm's coming. Say what you will. The storm's coming. I can hear the rumbling of the thunder out there in the distance. I can see the flashing of the lurid lightning out there. My God, the storm's coming. If you're not in, you better get in. I've said this and I'll say it again. If you get in, get right with God in 1968, you're going to be getting right with God just in time. The wrath is soon to be poured out. And God's not going to spare us. Do you think God's going to spare us because we live under the stars and the stripes? Do you think God's going to spare us because we live under the Christian flag? Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God didn't spare the angels to sin. God created those beautiful angels. Those beautiful angels were the object of his love. But they transgressed. And God cast them down to hell. Now if God didn't, if God didn't spare those beautiful angels of sin, what makes you think that he's going to spare little old you? Do you think you can organize your way in? Do you think you can buy your way in? Do you think that you have enough of prestige to get to heaven? Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God didn't spare the people back in Noah's day. 
They were well-educated people back in the days of Noah. People from every strata of society. They were millionaires who lived back in the days of Noah. Well-educated people. People from every strata of society. Yet the Bible indicates that God did not spare them. He put it on the heart of Noah to build the ark. The only ones that were saved was Noah and his wife and three sons and their wives and the animals that God selected. And the Bible said they went into the ark and God shut the door. Ladies and gentlemen, when God shuts the door, it's shut. God wipes civilization off of the map. God didn't spare the people in Sodom and Gomorrah's time. He rained fire and brimstone down upon them in a horrible tempest. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God didn't even spare his son. Did you hear what Paul said in Romans 8, 32? He spared not his own son, but delivered us, delivered him us for us all. Delivered him up for us all. He didn't even spare his son, but let him be crucified. They put a heavy cross on his shoulder. They weighed 250 pounds, they say. He got under that cross and carried it all the way up those torturous steps to Mount Calvary. And when he got there, they put nails into his hands. They put nails into his feet. They had a crown of thorns on his brow. And they lifted him up on the cross and dropped it down in a fresh dug hole. And when the cross hit the bottom, his face ripped and tore. And yet God Almighty never lifted his finger to help his son. He turned his back on him to cause Jesus to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He could have called 10,000 angels down from heaven if he so desired. They'd have pulled the swords and could have swept this planet into oblivion had he so desired. But he says, no, I must tread the winepress alone. God didn't even spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. And if words spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall you escape if you neglect some great salvation which at first to begin to be spoken by the Lord and confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Hebrews 2, verses 2 and 3. Ladies and gentlemen, there's absolutely no escape. Only through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, Peter said there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby one can be saved. Only through Jesus. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know what the Lord is saying to some of us here tonight? And I love you folk. This is a wonderful Wednesday night crowd. 
sitting up here on the platform, I looked out across the congregation. I was loving you folk. I was thanking God for you all. I've been in some of your homes. I've preached in your churches. We've eaten together. We've had sweet fellowship. Sitting upon the platform, looking out across the congregation, loving you folk, thanking God for you. Then I got to thinking about different individuals in this room that's not ready to die. If you were to die tonight, you wouldn't go to heaven. You go to hell, and you know it. You know what the Lord is saying to us here tonight? He says, give me your humanity. I'll give you my divinity. Give me your time. I'll give you eternity. Give me your slavery. I'll give you my freedom. Give me your death. I'll give you my life. Give me your nothing. I'll give you my all. That's what the Lord is saying to us tonight. And there's not a person in this room, not one, not one, not one person in this room that can guarantee me that you're going to be alive this time tomorrow evening. Not a one. You've got 208 bones in your body, over 500 flimsy muscles, over 1,000 jittery nerves. But if it weren't for the goodness of God, you couldn't sit up in your seat uh, listening uh, to this little sweaty preacher tonight. If it weren't for the goodness of God, uh, you couldn't sit up in your seat. You're breathing God's breath. We're here today. We can be a corpse tomorrow. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. I don't know how many times that I thought this. Someday I'll preach my last sermon. Someday you're going to hear your last message. Someday we're all going to go out to meet God. We're all going to stand yonder at the judgment. Every knee shall bow. You may not bow tonight, but someday you will bow. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. You may not confess tonight, but someday that tongue of yours will confess. Let's get our bowing done tonight. Let's get our confessing done tonight. I hate to say this, and I'm saying this in closing. I hesitate to say it. I'm the best friend that you ever had at this particular time. I'm standing between the dead and the living. I'm the best friend that you ever had at this particular time. And I wish I didn't have to say this, but there's going to be people that's in this room tonight that will go to hell. I wish I could say that everybody over here in this section, and in this section, and this section, I wish I could say everybody in this room will go to heaven when they die, but I can't say that and tell the truth. There'll be people out of this room that will go to hell. My God. After sitting in a service such as this, hearing the beautiful singing, and all the preaching that's been done, and the sermon that we're, we're preaching to, I get to thinking about some people in this room that will go to hell. And when we stand at the judgment, 
I don't want anybody in this room to shake your bloody bony finger at me and say, my God, Mother Smart, why didn't you tell me the truth that Wednesday night? I did tell you the truth. There's no blood dripping off of my fingers. I'm clean of your blood. I told you the truth. Sitting there in your seat, you know exactly what you ought to do. There's people right over here in this section, this section, this section. You know exactly what you ought to do. You have a spiritual need to be saved, sanctified, or reclaimed. Or you need to come to this altar and pray about something. My God, don't you leave without praying one prayer. You know what I want you to do tonight? I'm going to ask you to do something that's very, very hard for you to do. We've got a great crowd of people here tonight, but I'm going to ask you to do something that's very, very hard to do. I'm going to ask everybody in this room that has a spiritual need, don't you be ashamed. I want everybody in this congregation that has a spiritual need, I want you to get up out of your seat, and I want you to come down one of these aisles, and I want you to stand in front of this altar and let this preacher have a closing prayer with you before you leave this auditorium. It's going to take all the man, all the woman that's in you to do it. But I'm going to ask you to do it. I'm going to ask you to get right up and come down one of these aisles and stand here and let me have a closing prayer with you before you leave this auditorium. Don't you walk out into the night shadows without letting me have a closing prayer with you tonight. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.